Kittens and Kittens. We are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the Brando Cast. Back for round two. My guest today, you know, he had the number one Brando cast of all time. That includes, you know, heavyweight guests like Black Francis from the Pixies, Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks, Catherine Hahn, Heather Graham, fucking Dion Warwick. He had the number one podcast of all time until he was knocked off his perch by his friend and mine, Paget Brewster. Back again. It's my man who wears many hats in life. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a director. He's his own podcast host, of course, Kings of Con. And he fronts his own goddamn rock band, Loud and Swain. That means one thing. We are talking to the fabulous Mr. Rob Benedict. Hey, dude. Um, yeah, that's uh, Paget. Wow, the gauntlet has been thrown for the Supernatural fans to step up. Yeah, yeah, fuck you, Supernatural fans. You can't <laughs> let Rob be number two to Paget Brewster. Come on. Uh, you had Dion Warwick. I forgot about that. I had Dion Warwick. Yes, it was it was very brief. It was like a negotiated, like you get 20 minutes with Miss Warwick. But, wow. you know, fuck it. I'll take that. Dion, right? Warwick, Dion Warwick, yeah. And you had Black Francis. I mean, that's huge. huge. Well, you know, I don't know if you got the chance to... You're a very busy man. I don't know if you got the chance to listen to that. But that interview was basically 40 minutes of Black Francis talking about farming because he's a gentleman farmer at his little place there in uh, Western Massachusetts. And I didn't want to nerd out on uh, Pixie stuff. I wanted to hear him talk about making bread. Did you ever, ever get to the Pixies at all? No, no, not Uh. at all. (laughs) No, just like, just like kind of slight references in the background about getting back to normal. Cause I recorded him sort of at the, the height of the pandemic when things felt like it was really out of control right. back last June. I mean, a year ago, almost a year ago to the day. Wow. And, um, so he was just, you know, huddled up at his little farm, um, and, you know, making cheese, making bread, uh, farming vegetables. He had chickens. And so oh I thought God. like, you know, I don't want to be another nerd, and, you know, ask him, like, what's it like uh, working with Paz now that, you know, she's been in the band for a few years? Or, yeah. you know, when you guys get back together, is it weird recording over Zoom? Like, no, 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 no. Some other idiot's going to ask him that. I'm going to be like, okay, are you ready to take that cheese that you just made to market? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to ask that question. Exactly. Okay. Who cares about Black Francis today? How the fuck are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm healthy. I got my vaccination shots. And uh, yeah, I guess people are going back out. I don't know if I'm ready yet, but that's happening. That's happening. People are going out. I can't go out because, my friend, um, 25 pounds. Put on 25 pounds during the (laughs) pandemic. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a big oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not going to go out until you lose it? (sighs) I'm not ready to go back out in public. Yeah. I thought like I had more time to maybe like starve myself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe get a little coronavirus and lose some of the weight. Like I don't know <laughs> yeah. what it would take. And what's even more frightening to me is um, I have my 30th reunion coming up uh, in October. And I believe you could join if you wanted to as right. well. Yeah. So I am terrified of showing up in Evanston, Illinois, 25 pounds overweight. <laughs> I mean, Black Francis would do it. Well, yes, he would, but he he has been uh, Black Francis shaped for quite some time. <laughs> yes, he's known that's that's the right? Frank Black way. Yeah, 
I this is a brand new dad shape for me, and um, <laughs> I'm vain and I'm narcissistic, <laughs> and I just can't imagine. Yeah, so I'm terrified right now. I basically have four months wow. to somehow even shed ten pounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do it. You could do it. I'm doing this thing right now. I'm trying to shed a little weight. I'm trying. I'm 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 doing this thing where it's like uh, the intermittent fasting thing. Okay, tell me. Lay it on me. So what it means to me is like you can like you can eat between twelve. You can say twelve and ten. Twelve and eight is my goal. Like twelve noon and eight. Eat. That's what you eat. Eat whatever you want, and just don't eat from eight to noon the next day. And that first day I did it, it was really tough. So I gave myself two more hours at night, and I ate till ten. But still, you can't. You wake up the next morning, don't eat. Can't eat till noon. You can have coffee, but that's it. Uh, that I can do. I swear to God, I can do that because I I kind of have been doing that naturally anyway. Uh, I kind of have been going like, okay, can I get away with just having like brunch and dinner? Right. Rather than uh, three meals a day, right? Yeah. Oh God, that, that, maybe that's what I need to do. This intermittent yeah. fasting. Intermittent fasting. But yeah, you, you just said it. You can kind of eat anything you want. Yeah, that's what I'm told. I'm told you can eat what anything you want, and then you know, and then you don't. Yeah, and drink lots of water. It's hard. That, I'm trying myself. It's hard. I'm on like okay. day four of it. All right. Well, that's good. What do you feel? Do, do you feel it a little bit? A little bit, you know, I feel, yeah, I feel, I don't know, maybe it's mental. I feel like I'm doing something, you know, I'm right. doing something in the right direction. Because right. my my thing, my Achilles heel is like ice cream late at night. I <laughs> fucking go to town at midnight on a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and I've got teenage kids and I blame it on them. Well, they want ice cream, so I got to have ice cream in the house. But it's me. It's all me. <laughs> Can I tell you that Ben and Jerry's... Brownie batter core. Oh, wow. That's wow. my jam these days. That's why right. I'm 25 pounds yeah, overweight. Yeah. yeah, I'm coffee toffee crunch. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes you have to cut either one of those with a little bit of like a scoop of vanilla on the side. Sure, sure, like, like sure. can, but again, this is all stuff and a beer. That, is, uh, that is killing me. And I'm also yeah. like, okay, I have to try the new Burger King spicy chicken sandwich. I don't Someone's know. Got I to. hate burger, but I have to. Right. Yeah. It's my job to do that <laughs> yeah. for people. I know, um, I know. And my whole thing in my band is, you know, I wear tight T-shirts, and nobody wants a a, a band, a, you know, lead singer of a band who can't fit into his tight T-shirt. No, no. The drummer can be a little, a little sure, drummer sure. shaped. Yeah. The bass player can bass be player. a little bass player shaped, but yep. the leader of the band yeah. cannot under no circumstances. <laughs> Mick Jagger works out. Mick Jagger works for that body. He's 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 had multiple uh, what surgeries and and heart failures and whatever, and he's. He's dancing and getting in shape before they tour. A 70-plus-year-old man dancing in front of a mirror in a fucking ballet studio. Yes, I saw is that. Is what he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so on that note, yeah. tell me, give me some Loudon Swain news. So Loudon Swain is, uh, we've recorded over the the our lockdown, we've been recording songs, we recorded maybe seven songs, all four separate places, which has been a completely new experience for us, but we're, I'm proud of that we did it and, and they sound good. The songs sound really good. And so we've been releasing them one a month, uh, for like the last four months, we've released four so far. Um, and then now we can all get together. So we're getting together in about two weeks to record the rest of the album. And then we'll keep releasing one track a month until at the end we'll release an actual CD album. Um, so now do you have to year. play along with a click track? How do you do that timing wise or how does yeah. that work? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it will, you know, we'll start with a demo and we'll get, you know, what the BPM is going to be. And then Norton, our drummer from Phoenix, will, uh, from, from from the city Phoenix, not the band Phoenix, will yeah. uh, we'll record his, the drum part to a click. And then he'll send the drum track to me next and I'll uh, lay down sort of basic guitar and just, and then we'll just keep, you know, and then we'll keep swinging it back and forth. Um and bells and whistles until it's all done. And then we give it to our mixer and, you know, it's fun. It's super fun to do. It just, it's different. It's different. It's not, you don't have that ability in a studio to be like, Ooh, try it like this, you know, especially with vocals. I'm big on direction. So as the lead vocalist, I'm like, I send three takes. I'm like, how's this? You know, (laughs) (laughs) so there's no one like in the moment going like, Ooh, you've almost got it. Let's hit that one note again. You know? So that part of it is just, it kind of drags on, but, um, I'll be, I, I'd rather do it in person, but I'm thankfully with the technology today, you can actually do this. So, and then happy with these songs. So, yeah. Amazing. 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 And then, so the follow-up question would be, what's the deal live? So live, we, we, we don't have anything booked yet. We're, we're, we're kind of waiting, waiting to see, I mean, the, the level we're at, we're not playing, you know, the, the Greek where, you know, people can play and there's, there's, uh, you have distance between the audience and the band where we play, you know, you're all up in each other's grill. And I just, we just haven't, I, I think they're starting to book those. We just haven't. And we also, we play the conventions. So, and those have not been officially, they're in the books for, for, for the fall. So I would say hopefully in the fall, we will be playing again. We just don't have anything yet, uh, in cement, but, uh, there, there it's, it's on the books, but we'll see if they're going to be allowed to do it. Right, because a lot of the venue, a lot of the venues that you guys would normally play, exactly. are still closed down. That's right. That's a right. lot of cool venues too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the best venues. Um, and I see that you know the festivals and all that are, are are happening again, but that's a little different because, like I say, there's there's distance and it's outdoors and you know, so we'll we'll kind of see as soon as we can. We will. <laughs> okay, and the last question I'm going to ask you before we jump into the topic of today's Brando cast yeah. is uh, fans of Rob Benedict know probably that he is a regular guest on our friend Arden Marine's Bachelor Bachelorette-themed podcast. Will you accept this rose? I think you guys had a kickoff event for this season yeah. uh, featuring uh, What's-Her-Face, Katie Thurston, at the uh, Dynasty Typewriter Theater last yep. week. Yes? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you can speak honestly and freely with your friend Brendan about yes. The Bachelorette. How do you feel about this upcoming season? Well, uh, last season, I have to say, it, it nearly broke me. It was so <laughs> bad. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, yes. it's a bad show anyway, and you watch it, you kind of hate watch it, and then you get roped in. And but that season was so tough. It was it was like homework having to watch it just for the podcast. The only reason I was doing it. And this season, I've only seen the one episode, but it seems a little bit like it's back to the way that it used to be a little bit. So I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm back in. And there's no Chris Harrison, which I'm actually, I think is a good thing. It's kind of nice to mix it up. I feel like Chris Harrison didn't want to do it anymore. You know what I mean? He was tired of coming in and being like, ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's one rose left. Like that was his job. You know, just to say there's one rose left. So, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. But it's like so far, I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Well, they, I I, I only hate watch it. And yeah. I only hate watch it uh, just in anticipation of possibly going on Art of Marines podcast. <laughs> right, but I will right, say right. this. Yeah. For right now, they are in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
which is my teenage hometown. And so my mind was kind of blown a little bit. Like as soon as I saw last week's season premiere, I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Are they in Albuquerque? What the fuck? Yes, they're at the Hyatt Resort just outside of town. Yeah. And uh, I wish well, I was producing that show because I would be in charge of planning the group dates in Albuquerque. Oh, totally. Do all and, your hotspots. Uh, and I would do all my hotspots. We're going to putt-putt. We're all just going <laughs> to get drunk and play putt-putts. And uh, maybe we're, then we're going to go to the skate ranch, smoke about, some weed in the parking lots, and uh, you know, <laughs> see what happens. Put in my old 8-track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the Goldmine Arcade still open in the Coronado Mall? It should be, because if it is, that's where we're going tonight. <laughs> um, what were the good venues there? Where did you see bands? Well, as I've said on this podcast eight billion kajillion times, uh, the one place to see bands in Albuquerque was in the dead center of the city on the state fairgrounds, Tingley Coliseum, which was a rodeo arena and also where Ozzy, Maiden, Dio, Priest, Van Halen, wow. Rush, everyone played at Tingley Coliseum. Um, and it was a kind of a dump. It's the state fairground arena. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it's also where Loretta Lynn would play and Willie Nelson. Wow. Uh, but it was set up like a rodeo. So like the, the guardrail around the center, around the ring was like, yeah, that like, if you slammed into that as a cowboy, you fucking crack your head open. Oh my God. But, uh, and then the only other place back then that, that there was a smaller venue, downtown Albuquerque, the civic arena. And that's where, if a band was playing at the Civic Arena, it kind of meant that their career was like on a downturn. Like I saw Cheap Trick at the Civic Arena in like 1983 when they were sort of like on a downturn mm-hmm. and not yet pa- and not packing arenas anymore. So they had to go down to the like 3,500, 4,000 seat a- attendance kind of place. Right. Like um, when Spinal Tap had to play the... Uh- <laughs> <laughs> like, the state fair, the, yeah, the kids' fair, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque. That would be a group date. All right. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go, and I'm not gonna have a country star uh, play no. on on if I'm producing the Bachelorette. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row to come together. And- <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Wait, was Sebastian Bach the one that tw- that tweeted at you the other day, or no? Sebastian Bach. Oh tweeted his favorite shows on Sirius XM radio in general. And my show with Ahmed Zappa was number two. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like out of nowhere. And we're, we've actually sent messages to him to come on rock tales. He can come on rock tales anytime he wants. And we're back doing that show live and in the Zappa studio, which Ahmed souped up a little bit over the pandemic. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed for Sebastian Bach. Wow. That would be amazing. That'd be huge. And what is going on with your podcast currently? Kings of Con is our podcast uh, that I have with Richard Spate Jr. And uh, yeah, we're doing it. We're, um, we, uh, we, you know, our, our, the whole, the, the conceit of that show is that we have uh, people on the show that sort of, well, originally it was the conceit was that we had people on that had to do with the convention world. People, actors that were on or had to do with shows that were sort of fan favorite type of shows that would do con- fan conventions and that kind of thing. Um, now it's kind of like we had Hank on the other day. You know what I mean? Our, our, you're Hank my Chilton. mutual mutual friend, Hank Chilton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it's just sort of like we're having our buddies on and whatever. And a lot of times it's just him and I talking. And that's our start as sort of a survival thing. We just we just were in need of doing something. And we he and I just started 
started something. Uh, I started a, a podcast called And My Guest is Richard Spate, where every week he was my guest. But then we kind of turned it into this Kings of Con thing, which was uh, taken from a show that we we made a few years ago uh, and wrote about our our life in the convention world that we, as actors uh, on, on Supernatural, we were thrown into that convention circuit and what the, what that was like, you know, for us um, sort of being kind of nobodies, but then like super famous, just like seven weekends a year when you do the conventions. Right. Um, anyway, so, so we've kind of turned that into a podcast now. And it's fun. That's fabulous. Yeah. That's fabulous. Um, you know, my, my favorite thing about certain types of conventions, like comic conventions or sci-fi conventions is that sort of row of what I would call like kind of C and D list people. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, Virgil from the WWF back in the day. <laughs> totally. You know, like wrestlers that have been retired for like 30 years. And yeah. A girl who was on Xena for like a season. <laughs> exactly. You know? Or maybe but an the, episode. But the lines are there. Yeah, totally. No, totally. It was it's like when they used to have the or they still might have it, the Hollywood Christmas parade. We always used to go down and see that. It's a real sad holiday parade. <laughs> and it would be like, you know, the stars of young and the restless. And it was like, you know, it's a couple of faces you've never seen before. God love them. God love them. God bless them. God bless everybody. <laughs> well, today on the Brando cast. We're not talking about C and D level people today uh -uh. on the Brando Cast. We're talking about one of Rob Benedict's favorite bands of all time. I know it's one of the giants, sort of in the modern era of rock and roll. So, without further ado, kiddos. Pearl Jam is an American rock band formed in Seattle, Washington, back in 1990. The band's lineup consists of founding members Jeff Ament on bass guitar, Stone Gossard on rhythm guitar, Mike McCready on lead guitar, and Eddie Vedder on vocals. Currently, Matt Cameron is their drummer, and he joined in 1998. Pearl Jam was formed from the ashes of Gossard and Amon's previous band, Mother Love Bone, a number of months after frontman Andrew Wood died from a heroin overdose. Ament and Gossard were devastated by the death of Wood and the decline of the band, but reconvened a few months later along with Seattle guitarist Mike McCready. After practicing for a while, the trio sent a five-song demo tape to former Chili Peppers drummer Jack Irons to see if he would be interested in joining the band. Irons instead gave the demo to his buddy Eddie Vedder, and the rest we will get into on today's show. Just tell me, what does Pearl Jam mean to you? Pearl Jam that came into my life when I was in I was in college and my parents had just gotten divorced after my estranged father uh, it finally was determined he was never coming back and so um, my brother and I were both in college uh, he was uh, in Wisconsin I was in Chicago and we both felt found this like this voice that that Eddie had that we just for some reason really just like jived with and there was something about the anger that he was singing with and the passion he sang with and the 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 you know we were we were MTV kids we we liked a lot of the music you like too and you know but you'd never heard hard rock music sung with this you know 
Except, you know, uh, you, you'd probably be able to tell me, who, who's the guy that sings, Mother, I don't want to, Danzig. Danzig? Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, except for maybe Danzig, <laughs> you know what I mean? We never, we weren't, you weren't hearing that, that, that kind of baritone voice. And um, so anyway, it, it was, there was just something about the way that he sang, the anger that he sang with, and it just got us. It got us both. The, you know, it got, my friend Kurt turned me on to it. Kurt was, is, is my friend in Seattle, we always kind of like uh, he was always has his, his finger on the pulse of like what's what's the next big thing and like he sent me Pearl Jam before it was before they were big and and so I kind of felt I had from an early age I felt like oh I was one of the first to know who they were and uh, when they were like opening up for the Chili Peppers it was this Chili Peppers them the Chili Peppers and Smashing Pumpkins were touring together crazy and so. I, yeah, I just, uh, there's something about it. It just got me. And, um, I turned my brother onto it and, and then that was it. And then I saw them in Lollapalooza in 92 and yeah, to see them live is just like a, a mind altering, life altering experience. And, uh, and that was it. I took off from there, joined the fan club. And then I was just like super fan. And I always say this at the fan conventions. I'm always like, I am this way to Pearl Jam. So I understand what it is going to something because you just love that thing and anything about it you want to be a part of. And, and that's, you know, we, there was a point where Matt, my brother, Matt and I, he's three years older than me. We were going to get Pearl Jam tattoos. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I was like, I can't, I don't want to get a tattoo of another artist on me. I just, I just, I'd rather just be a fan. I don't, that's just for some reason, that was just a, no. And and my brother's still like, I feel like we should have, we should have done it. Like, nah, but we've got this. We just, we know in our hearts, you know? So anyway, that's what Pearl Jam means to me. It means, it, it means a link with my brother and I, and, and it's, you know, and it's, uh, and it's just, it's everything that I love about music and, and made me want to be the lead singer of a band, you know? If you were to get a Pearl Jam tattoo, what would it be? Would it be an official logo? Would it be that stick figure it's from the 10? stick figure. That's what we would have okay. gotten. The stick figure like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like going like this. I've got it. I've got it framed. It's I've moved recently, so it's now it's it's in my garage. But yeah, I've got it framed. But it's that. It would have been just that. No, no Pearl Jam, but just that. You know, okay, which that's is the, amazing. Yeah, that's the incredible. Of the, of the, yeah, the equivalent of the the uh, Grateful Dead dancing dudes. You know, it's that. Yeah, that. It's a stick figure with yeah. kind of grunge hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, and a little goatee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, see, I, I I would only have gotten a Van Halen tattoo, the classic VH, but you know, it wouldn't have stood the test of time. Because it would have been, I, I could have been mocked for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have no tattoos. I feel like my age, I was right on the cusp of no tattoo people and mm-hmm. everyone being sleeved fully yeah. up to the neck, whatever. But yeah, because uh, it's a bit, it's a commitment to put a band on you. It is. It really is. It really is. And and especially yeah. And just as a musician, I just felt like I don't know that just is there something that rubbed wrong on it about for me just rubbed wrong a bit you know what i mean (laughs) um but did you feel like eddie did you get any inspiration from eddie's style or did you borrow any a ton so much i literally when we used to play uh our first loud and swain my band loud and swain our first gigs um i would literally borrow things that he said you know what I mean? Because what he does that's so great as a as a as a lead singer is he reads the audience and will give you know like all the best 
that that do that. You know what I mean? Um, he will find out something about the city and say like, Hey, I, you know, or if he's playing in Italy, he'll say several things in Italian and, you know, um, and he always does fun. I mean, that was the thing you'd go, you'd go to see what is Eddie going to do this show? I mean, especially when he was younger, you know, he, when he would do these insane things where he'd climb up and, you know, and stage dive from like the top of the, the scaffold onto the, you know, insane. You can see all this on YouTube, by the way, and I still do watch it. It's fucking crazy. So yeah, it's that kind of thing. And like feeling free enough to expose your emotion like that, you know, and, that, and that's what I felt like he would do. And I, I still do that to this day when I'm performing, you know, I love it. Eddie Vedder was the lead vocalist for a San Diego band, Bad Radio, and he worked part-time at a gas station. He listened to the demo tape that Iron sent him, and then he recorded vocals for three of the songs, Alive, Once, and Footsteps. Vedder then sent the tape with his vocals back to Eamon Gossard and McCready, who were impressed enough to fly Eddie up to Seattle for an audition. Within a week, Vedder had joined the band. Pearl Jam broke into the mainstream with their debut album, 10, in 1991. The album was slow to sell at first, but by the second half of 1992, it became a breakthrough success, being certified gold and reaching number two on the Billboard charts. 10 produced the hit singles Alive, Even Flow, and Jeremy, and album sales were absolutely helped by the popularity of their videos, especially the video for Jeremy, which played on MTV in heavy goddamn rotation. A massive tour, along with the above-mentioned appearance at Lollapalooza, soon followed. And I should quickly say that I'm taking, I've sort of put together notes from Wikipedia uh, in my own thing, so I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. You know, all, I, I will, very, so far so good. Yeah, so far so good. So, and I also wanted to say to you, I should have said this up top. If you have any like little tidbits or any like little bits of information to like sort sort of fill in the blanks as I'm going along, pub pub please. Well, you know, that uh, was throw all, them in there. What, what you just talked about is it's such lore of the Pearl Jam. Uh, the story is it's such lore. It's such great lore. We, we we used to talk about that all the time. Like, is it true? Is it true? Like Eddie lived in San Diego, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like surfing. He got the he got the tape, and uh, he the story goes that he went out and surfed and thought of the, this tr actually trilogy that he wrote. It's all supposed to be a trilogy that forms together with these three songs, and uh, you know, culminating with Alive. Um, but when they reissued uh, Ten uh, as a box set, it was what twenty years, I think, maybe twenty year anniversary. They had in it a cassette tape that was sort of rep a replication of what he sent back to San San uh, Seattle. So if you had a tape player, which I do, you can put it in and it's the original demos of him singing along to their music of those wow. three songs. Yeah. That's do you cool. have, have you ever heard any, any primitive recordings of his, uh, Seattle or his San Diego band? Bad no, Radio? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't at all. And, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those kind of, I mean, I love, you know, all the stuff that they, you know, uh, Stone Gossard had this band, Brad, they, they put out a few albums. Um, Jeff Ament does, does stuff. Um, Mike McCready does stuff. I just, uh, and of course I was a huge Soundgarden fan, but, um, I'm really just about Pearl Jam. <laughs> you know, Eddie, does, Eddie's had some great solo stuff. But I'm really, I really just like it when those those five dudes are together, you know. Um, so, uh, but no, I never, never heard that other band. I've, I've heard uh, Mother Love Bone stuff, 
Um, yeah, well, well, Chloe Dancer. Uh, uh, yeah. What was that? That was on the single soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, which which now Pearl Jam covers. They play that song live a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird because I remember that. I mean, <laughs> someone tweeted today that like, yeah, the 80s were 40 years ago, but the 90s were 30 years ago. And for some reason, that makes me feel even older. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Do you know what I mean? And, and I just have to remind myself that the 90s, it, it's not the 90s anymore. Oh my God. Do you know what I mean? Like I have yeah. to pinch myself all the time because I was working at Tower Records when 10 came out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, 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 I was bouncing back and forth between Tower Westwood and Tower Sunset. Oh my God. And uh, I mean, it, I, I vividly remember the, the, the art department kids at Tower Westwood made the big giant 10 painting to hang inside Tower Westwood. And, you know, I just remember how big that record was for people who were into indie rock right away. Like, it didn't take MTV to, like, you know, there were people that that was, you know, I was fully participating in that world as you were. You know, I, Mm -hmm. because of Chicago and the access to all the punk clubs, you know, I knew Nirvana, you know, as they were sort of driving around the country in a van. Mm -hmm. And so then it was like, okay, who's going to be the next out of Seattle? And and it was absolutely Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam I mean, yeah. Soundgarden was already fully formed mm-hmm. and touring around. And the thing I wanted to say, I mean, you sort of mentioned that those guys have been together, you know, I'll give or take a few drummers here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's just so rare anymore for bands to like go the distance with the yeah. sort of the core lineup. Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, that is it's my favorite thing about a band if you can withstand the test of time somehow mm-hmm. and you can stay together through success and through failure and interpersonal squabbles. I mean, I know musicians are crazy and it's nearly impossible to keep a, you know, a band that's more than two people together. Yeah. But for me, it's like one of the coolest things about them. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff and Stone, even longer than that, because they're Mother Love Bone and Green River uh, before that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's remarkable um, that they stuck together. And yeah, it's funny when you say that, uh, when you read that Matt Cameron joined in 98, I mean, that seems like he seems like that was much later than that, you know what I mean? Because they had done so much, but really we're talking about less than a decade that all this happened, you know, when I moved to LA, it was 93, fall of 93, I graduated and came out. Um, and it was right before Versus, so right before mm-hmm. their second album came mm-hmm. out. And, uh, and I remember just being, being like freaking out with excitement about that, you know. The band members grew uncomfortable with their newfound success in the wake of 10, with much of the burden of Pearl Jam's popularity falling on frontman Vetter. They headed into the studio in early 1993, facing the challenge of following up the commercial success of 10. McCready said the band was blown up pretty big and everything was pretty crazy about that period of time. Released on October 19, 1993, Pearl Jam's second record, Versus, sold 250,000 copies in its first week of release and outperformed all other entries in the Billboard Top 10 that week combined. The album set the record for most copies of an album sold in the first week of its, of its release, which it held until it was broken by some Garth Brooks record in 1998. <laughs> Versus included the singles Go, Daughter, Animal, and Dissident. The band declined to produce any more music videos after the massive success of Jeremy and opted for fewer interviews and television appearances. 
Industry insiders compared Pearl Jam's tour that year to the touring habits of Led Zeppelin in that the band ignored the press and took its music directly to the fans. During the Versus tour, the band set a cap on ticket prices in an attempt to thwart scalpers. And this, of course, would set up a lot of conflict between Pearl Jam and Ticketmaster. I mean, this was such a fucking huge period of time. Huge, huge, uh, huge. For for Pearl Jam. My God. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was huge. I think for the band because they were like def- trying to define who they were and what they wanted their footprint to be in music musical history, you know. And I think, you know, the, you know, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain at first kind of put them down, and I I always got the feeling that they kind of took that to heart. They wanted to be their, you know, uh, Eddie was one of his favorite bands was um, who's the band out of DC punk band. Uh, uh, like Minor Threat or Fugazi? No, Fugazi. Mm-hmm. He loved Fugazi and he was, he kind of wanted to be that, you know. And uh, and there were there were tracks, like for, I remember the first time I heard like Animal, and I was like, oh shit, this is hard. It, it, it was harder. It, 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 and it, it had more of a, a punk sort of urgency. And uh, so I think they were redefining themselves and started to rebel against these things that they, that had made them what they were, like MTV, you know what I mean? And Ticketmaster and all those things. Um, I wanted to say at this point in the story too, so this is just a little bit after I saw them at Lollapalooza, um, but at Lollapalooza was the first of two times that I would meet Eddie Vedder. <laughs> and this also shaped my love for, for the band. And the, so the first time I met Eddie Vedder was at Lollapalooza. They weren't big enough yet. They were, they had a 3 p.m. slot, Right. And so I, um, and so my friend and I that I went with, we heard that Eddie would, after they played, would walk around and like look at things in the gallery or whatever. And sure enough, there he was. And we, we were out there and we saw him and went up. We're like, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. This is before the time of cell phones, right? So we were like, hey, we've had like an old, you know, a camera camera. And we're like, can we take our picture with you? And he's like, uh, no, I don't really do pictures. But uh, he goes like this. He was like, he did his fingers to him, himself and then to us, two fingers. And he's like, I'll remember your faces. I'll remember your faces. Come to another gig. I'll remember your faces. We're like, Yes. And I have to tell you that I'm a 50 year old man. I, you know, I believe in science, but I swear to God, every time I, I go to a show, I've been to about 25, 26 shows, and I always see, feel like he's his eyes come to me, and he's like, "There's the, there's the guy, there's the guy from Chicago, Lollapalooza." <laughs> so yeah, so that was the first time I met Eddie, and uh, yeah, that was right right around that time. So that again, I was, I was like, "Oh, I just loved this band." Um, anyway, but yeah, so verses. Versus, they were harder edged. They were rebellious, and they were kind of redefining who they were. Okay, don't hate me. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two of my Eddie Vedder stories. May okay. I? Yes, please. Okay. Well, the first one is an easy one because it what was it 93, 94. Uh, young, very young Brandon Smith um, was a PA on the MTV Music Awards. Oh wow! That happened at Poly Pavilion at UCLA. Uh, it was my job that week to drive around the cast and crew of MTV Brazil in a van between the Sofitel Hotel and Westwood all week long. That was the uh, MTV Music Awards where the Black Rose played, Def Leppard played, uh, Elton John and Axl Rose, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Oh, my so, God. I, I, we were in the arena when Nirvana was sound checking. And they played Rape Me at Soundcheck with nobody else around except for the crew oh in the God. basketball arena. 
And sitting in the stands watching them was the full Pearl Jam band. Full oh band. My, oh, my God. Full band watching. And, and the, the controversy of that moment was everyone at MTV got really scared that Nirvana was going to do something uncool and play Rape Me Live right. during the music awards because they were told under no circumstances can you do the song. But they did the full song at rehearsal, and it was fucking amazing. Wow, um, dude. Quick tangent, I quit my job right before the show so I could watch the full show. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Turned in my walkie-talkie and was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to just disappear into the crowd. No, wait a minute. Uh, was that the same show that, that Eddie and, and Kurt danced underneath the stage? Well, it I think be. that's the only time it must yeah. be because that was also the the that was also the show where I think Chris Novoselic threw his bass up in the air and, and, and it smashed on top of yeah. his head. Yeah, so they must have. Uh, but yeah, no, that was an incredible thing. But here's my other one, and don't hate me. So you know as well as anybody, L.A. is a very strange place, and if you're here long enough, you're friends with all kinds of interesting and crazy people. So back in the day, I was really good friends with Jack Black when he was an actor at the Actors Gang. Mm -hmm. And for a billion years, it started with Tim Robbins, uh, and it was passed down to Jack. There was uh, an ultimate Frisbee game at UCLA uh, on the quad outside of Kierkegaard Hall. And it was a lot of actors gang people and other you know friends of Jack's and whatever. And we would get together and we would play ultimate Frisbee. You know, it started at like 1030. It was late. And um, cut to me throwing a touchdown pass to Eddie Vedder. Oh my God, what? And, ha and ha well, of course, because when Tenacious D got big in the late night, yeah. this is like 99. I saw them open up for Pearl Jam. Right, so yeah. maybe 99, 2000, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, somewhere mm -hmm. in those two years, because I know where I was, I remember where I was living uh, at the time of this. Uh, so somewhere in there, uh, he Jack brought uh, Eddie to one of those one of those games and he played he full, you know, it was just another dude and like, you know, bad sweats and we all wore cleats and, uh, you know, we're playing at midnight oh my and God. Uh, I had the experience of, uh, of throwing a touchdown pass oh my to God. Eddie Did you, and like, then I, getting the dude. Yeah. The, oh yeah. Full on. Cause it was, he, it was a good catch on his part. It was a good throw. It was a good catch. It was a bonding moment. Um, you know, our friendship didn't really go anywhere after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, you know, I got the two fingers, yeah. but, but I got, and I, I also, I also had a similar moment with Tim Robbins as well on another game. Really? Because uh, he Wait. he's so tall, I like literally just threw a frisbee uh, perpendicular, a sideways up in the air, and he just reached his hand out and grabbed it over someone for a touchdown, and, and I got a dude and a high five off that. So that didn't I, get me any work. It didn't no. lead to fame and fortune, but I no. do have those experiences in, under yeah. my belt. And it is a high that you have those situations. It's a, a bit of a high, you know what I mean? Well, that, those are the things that have kept me in Los Angeles far too long yeah. than I should have. And that is a fact. Pearl Jam wrote new music while touring behind the Versus album, and the majority of the tracks for their next record were recorded during breaks on the tour. Vitology was first released on November 22nd, 1994 on vinyl, and then two weeks later on CD and cassette. The CD became the second fastest selling CD in history with more than 870,000 units sold in its first week. 
Many of the songs on the album appear to be inspired by the pressures of fame. The song Spin the Black Circle won a Grammy Award in 1996 for Best Hard Rock Performance. Vitology also included the songs Not For You, Corduroy, Better Man, and Immortality. Tensions within the band had dramatically increased by this time, though. After Pearl Jam finished the recording of Vitology, drummer Dave Abruzzi was fired. The band cited political differences between Abruzzi and the other members, and he was then replaced by Jack Irons, who, of course, had connected better with Pearl Jam some four years prior. Also, the band did a smaller tour for Vitology, largely due to their continued industry fight with the sons of bitches who ran Ticketmaster. Yeah. Vitology. Did I say Abruzzi's name right? Abruzzi. Abruzzi. Um, I, uh, so during this time, you know, again, being a super fan before cell phones and computers and internet, I should say, was hard. And during this time, um, it was around the time that I guess maybe I, I got my first computer and you had dial up internet and it took forever. And, but one of the things you do is try to find these bootleg performances, you know, that you, that you, you know, what you could. And you'd, um, I was, I, there was a, uh, like a fan group, uh, called five horizons taken from a, a lyric in the song black. And, uh, and you, and they would have, publish these like one-off live performances of them doing, you know, different things. So that that's my memory of this time is sort of like finding the song. It was like a B-side that they played live this one time, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I would down, it would take like three or four hours to download this one song, but it was, I'd live for it. I'd live for it. Um, the other thing during this time I remember is they, um, Kevin and Bean were talking about uh, Pearl Jam and I called in and I got in and I was talking to Kevin and Bean about Eddie and, you know, cause they're like, we think that, that fans of Eddie just like what it, what he does, no matter what he says or what he plays, you know, we don't even know this is any good anymore. So I, I called to like argue that to Kevin and Bean on K-Rock. <laughs> which For is, fans know, listening outside the city of Los Angeles, that yeah. was a massive, massive, that was the alternative station. K-Rock, yeah. of course, yeah. world famous, 106.7 yeah. FM. Yeah. I and love that is, you called into Kevin and Bean. Yeah. And these are the morning host, Kevin and Bean. Yeah. So, and, uh, but yeah. And, um, and then Pearl Jam did this thing, um, called, uh, Monkey Wrench Radio during the fight Vitology tour where, where they literally, uh, held up in like, or they, they had this like set up in like, uh, some trailers and stuff. And I think in Seattle and they had like, all the Seattle bands came and played and it was all like Eddie was the DJ and they just like took over radio for like 48 hours. You can get that somewhere too, but that was during this time too. And, and I think K-Rock ended up playing a lot of it because I remember I had tapes of it. I would just record the radio, right? But, That's uh, so awesome. Give yeah. me, give me, uh, give me a portrait of Rob Benedict at this time. Right. Cause so you're, the, you're in L, you're in LA now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're going for it. I'm going for it. Do you um, remember your first paid gig acting gig yeah um yeah let's see well my first paid acting gig was on uh, beverly hills 90210 oh yes i uh, did not know that yeah yeah beverly hills 90210 and um yeah i was a it was a one day it was a one day the thing about this too is i i uh jason Priestley was the director so he he gave me my first job um 
And ironically or coincidentally, he's now the father in my daughter's class of another girl, uh, which is why we stay in LA. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and but I'm too I'm too nervous to go say hi. It's so stupid. I'm 50 years old. What am I doing? So anyway, but I uh, but I my my line on Beverly Hills 90210 was subsequently cut out. Oh. But you you literally see my shoulder, so I still got residual checks. But um, yeah, so it was like I literally invited people over because again, there's no one to say like, "Hey, by the way, buddy, we had to cut you out." Like you just so I invited people over to see the, my episode, and then sure enough, it's, it didn't happen. Cutting room floor. God damn it! Yeah, welcome to Hollywood, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, because you had to go through hell. People should know he had to go through hell just to get that one line. Yeah, yeah. Man, where, oh, where yeah. do you remember where the audition room was for Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero? I don't really remember, but I remember at the time um, I was. Did they shoot at Sony? I can't totally remember, but I was I was a courier. I was delivering packages was my day job because I had quit my waiting job to because I thought I got a role in this movie that shot in Romania, which lost funding, but I was too embarrassed to go get my job back. So I got a job of couriering packages. Um, and uh, so I literally worked a half a day and on a tour. It doesn't take long to shoot one scene, right? So I was there from about 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. And then I got in my car and went and delivered packages. I worked that day. You know, on my other job. Unbelievable. What, yeah. Where did you wait tables? Waited tables at first at the Carnegie Deli in Beverly Hills, not there mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, when I had my comeback <laughs> after after Courier, I I went back and uh, was at uh, at. Uh, um, at uh, uh, Houston's in Century City, which isn't oh anymore. fancy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> fancy. Oh, yeah. Moving, up, moving up, moving up in the waiting world. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so the final question: What was the first gig that you actually got a little teeny bit of screen time after the heartbreak of not being nine hundred two one zero on nine hundred two one zero? Was it a commercial? Was it yeah, a show? Commercial. Was it a yeah, commercial. Um, I was, um, I think the first was a Domino's commercial for, <laughs> for Domino's. Yeah, which I um, was, the whole conceit of the ad was that Domino's had had this, that the new way they delivered pizza was in that, that red bag that kept it warm. <laughs> <laughs> And it keeps it extra hot, right? Was that the exactly, idea? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I was the other pizza company that didn't know how to do that. So I was driving a pizza, an oven car. And oh. the whole time I'm sweating and that was the whole idea, right? And at the end of the day, the last shot, I'm supposed to be on fire, like smoke coming out. So they had squibs all over me and a squib on my leg got situated wrong and went against my skin and was shooting super hot air right against my skin. And they kept doing take after take. And, and finally, I just broke down. I just finally was like, I, I'm, I'm bur- you're burning me alive. And uh, I had like a third degree burn on the back of my calf. Were yeah. you too afraid to tell them because you didn't so want to lose afraid. the job? Oh, too afraid. dude. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's how Hollywood like fucks you in the face. Yeah. yeah totally. Those are oh my beginning. God. Yeah. Right. But you were scared that if yeah. you said something on set, they'd be like, get out of here. Exactly. Bye. Yeah. Next and, up. And, and now that I've worked and I know what it is, like, what was I thinking? Like, did I think Domino's had control over Hollywood? <laughs> You'll never <laughs> think this. We're Domino's. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. literally, I had to sign something that said I wouldn't sue him. And <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, because they, they, well, because now y- you know yeah. they fucked up. 
Yeah, they fucked up. Yeah, they, they fucked, fucked up. up big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. that, was, that was my first screen time, I bet. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Don't you wish we could we could time travel back to that kid on that set and go, dude, it's going to be all right. Yeah, it's going to all man. work out. It's yeah. going to all be fine. <laughs> You're going to get through today and it's going to be all right. Uh, that poor kid. Poor kid. Following a smaller tour for Fidelity, Pearl Jam went into the studio to record its follow-up, No Code. Released in 1996, the album was seen as a deliberate break from the band's sound since 10, uh, favoring experimental ballads and noisy garage rockers. Although the album debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, it quickly fell down. No Code includes the singles, Who Are You, Hail Hail, and off he goes. As with Vitology, very little touring was done to promote No Code because of the band's refusal to play in Ticketmaster venues. Stone Gossard stated that there was a lot of stress associated with trying to tour at that time, and it was growing more and more difficult to be excited about being part of the band. Following a short tour for No Code, the band went back into the studio in 1997 to record their next record, and the sessions represented more of a team effort among all members of the group. On February 3rd, 1998, Pearl Jam released Yield. The album was cited as a return to the band's early straightforward rock sound, and it debuted at number two on the Billboard charts. It included the singles Given to Fly and Wishlist. Yeah, I, I, huh. yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I love both those records, actually. Um, there are some awesome songs on, on No Code. Um, and then Yield, to me, was like the beginning of the band solidifying themselves as like veterans in, in rock. And from there, they didn't sway much. That was sort of, I think, the way they made albums from there on out, where it was more of a community. You know, Vitology was very much Eddie kind of leading the show. And... Then they, you know, went through some drummer changes, and then Yield, uh, with Jack Irons drumming on Yield, it just that 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 was more like what they were. And of course, you know, then Cameron kind of like took them to another artistic level because he's such a good drummer. But anyway, yeah, Yield was Yield. My my story about Yield is that uh, so I I was in line the thir- the Thursday night that it came out. Like if you were you could at midnight you could go. Um, because music used to come out on Fridays. Now it comes out on Tuesdays, right? Yeah. So he used to come out Friday. So I was there Thursday night at um, the place that was, uh, the Vir, was a Virgin Records that was in the Lemley Sunset Five? Yes, it was. Okay. So I went to Virgin for the, oh, for at midnight to get, to be one of the first to get my copy of Yield with some extra swag. So I was waited in line. I got my, I got it. I was, I was dressed. I don't know. I was dressed like me. I had a checkered shirt on and just like I, I dressed. And then I had this kind of like a bucket hat which at the time wasn't a statement. It was just like a fisherman's hat. And they gave me a poster, a Pearl Jam poster and something else maybe. Um, and then, and then the, the album. And so I go down to my car to, 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 to go back home and uh, a carload of dudes drives by and a guy in the backseat rolls down his window and he's like, nerd. And then they like sped off. And I was just like, 
I felt so fucking violated. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, it was honestly, it was, it was, I was like, am, I'm, I'm, the, I'm a nerd. Like that was the first time I was like, fellas, I was persecuted from my love of Pearl Jam. <laughs> On the corner of Sunset and Crescent Heights Boulevard. That's right. That's right. I mean, where it's supposed to be a safe area. And, to be and a, a nerd. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a glorious moment. I had a free Pearl Jam poster. I finally, you know, got to go listen to Yield. Oh, it was a hat. That's what they gave me. A little baseball hat. It was really, and it was really a poor hat, but it said Yield on it. Um, yeah. But I got called a nerd. I got called a nerd after I bought my Pearl Jam album at midnight. Yeah. Well, fuck you kids in that car. Yeah. Fuck, fuck you. them. Fuck yeah, them. Fuck them. Yeah. Um, they don't get it. That's, I just wanted to say real quickly about Pearl Jam. There was, uh, there's, uh, their history is so vast. It's still ongoing. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about, but I sort of just concentrated on the classic era. Yeah. yeah. And I just wanted to say that Pearl Jam has sold nearly 90 million records worldwide. And they were, of course, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000. And 17. Yeah, a few years ago. As a fan, you care about that, right? You care about Pearl Jam being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Me, that was yeah. huge. My, I got my 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 soul was crushed this year when Iron Maiden did not get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I felt that was a personal attack against me by the Rock Hall. So many people that should be in that aren't. No, right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 100%. Somehow they get around to some of them. Like, I'm glad that Journey is in. Duran Duran should be in. Thin mm -hmm. Lizzy should be in. Motorhead should be in. I think Iron Maiden and Judas Priest should be in. But, you know, it's fun to be a fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. It's great. And, it's great to be a fan. And, you know, they put out an album, Pearl Jam put an album, Gigaton, uh, last year. And uh, that was super fun. You know, it just keeps going. Well, you know, they're in the Netherlands right now. They're playing like three festival dates now, as you and I are talking, and this podcast will air shortly after we finish recording. Yeah. Uh, they're in the Netherlands now. They're touring Europe this summer. Yeah. Have you ever gone to a destination Pearl Jam show? Have you ever go, okay, I'm going to fly back to Chicago to see them at Wrigley Field, or I'm going to fly to Boston to see them at Fenway, or I'm going to fly to fucking London to see them at the O2 Arena? Yes, I flew, well, not, nothing that exciting. I flew to St. Louis is where I'm from. But while I lived out here, but my, I met my brother there and we saw them. Um, my brother and I used to go see them in San Diego a lot because, so I'm a fan club member. And as a fan club member, you get like your choice of tickets. Yes. But there are fewer fan club members living in the San Diego area than there are the LA area. So you get a better ticket in San Diego, right? So that's, so we've seen a lot of shows in San Diego. Um, I flew up to Seattle, um, three years ago to see them play the, what they call the home shows where they played the, the stadium, the baseball stadium in Seattle. Um, and that was amazing. Um, and Chicago, I've flown to Chicago to see them. But that's about it. I've never flown. No, but that no, but that's above and beyond. That's yeah. all that is fucking awesome. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. Um, amazing. Okay, so what are the chances for those forum shows that were supposed to happen? Yeah. Do you know any uh are they talking about rescheduling soon? I I, I don't know. I have I've got tickets. Like you I have okay. So yeah, you got tickets. tickets via the fan club for those yeah. forum shows. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. I'll yeah. And, and yeah. And so I'm still waiting. I kind of, ch I checked the other day, like I, I haven't really heard anything. I'm sure they'll let us know, but yeah, that the, the word was when we reschedule your tickets will be good. So I'm just kind of waiting. Um, okay, and what is the deal with the weird show that's happening at Dana point? The Ohana festival. So that's like Eddie's sponsored festival where um, they play, he plays and like a lot of his friends play. 
Um, yeah, I ha- I've never been. For some reason, it's weird. I've never been to that, but I should go. But what's I, I I'm still trying to figure out like where are they playing in Dana Point? Like I, are they playing in someone's backyard? Like what what's they, what's happening? Yeah, they set up at a beach or something. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, it's never it's never it's never called to me to go to that again. Gotcha. I'm a fan of the Pearl Jam show. I'm a fan of going there. You see some cool person open up for them that you know usually because like Jeff Jeff Ament has his finger on the pulse. Like he knows the new up and coming bands, and they usually pick a really good band to open up for them. And that we wait for the, that that the music kind of changes and the lights dim and they come on stage. That's a magical moment. And you're like, oh, here we go, here we go, you know. And they play for fucking ever. Um, but that's I'm a fan of that. You know, those are the shows I go to. My hope for myself is that I am in the crowd at the forum when Eddie recognizes you <laughs> yet again. <laughs> Can I tell you my second story of meeting him? Please. Okay, so so the second time I met him, my friend Mandy, uh, who I was on Felicity with, Amanda Foreman, she's she grew up in L.A., and uh, her best friend is Laura Dern. Again, one of those L.A. things. And uh, and so Mandy's like, hey, Laura and I are going to see the Eddie Vedder show with Ben Harper opening up, and this is when Laura and Ben were together. Would you want to go? <laughs> yeah, fucking yes. So I go, we meet Ben and Laura for dinner before, uh, and um, uh, Meg Ryan was there too. So it was really fucking weird and just having to act like, hey, yeah, no, um, you know, uh, the, the, is the salmon good? You know, you try to act normal. And um, anyway, then we go to the show. Afterwards, we go backstage fast forward to all the sort of craziness of being backstage and feeling awkward and get, catching a glimpse of Eddie. And then finally, somehow everyone clears out except Eddie, Laura Dern, Ben Harper, me, my friend Mandy, and like a couple of other people in Eddie's green room. There we are. This is my chance. And Eddie's sitting two people away from me. There's a person I don't know in between us. And Eddie's kind of at first kind of holding court and then kind of people break off in a conversation. Um, I, I didn't do great. I didn't do great. I, I had a chance and I just, I didn't do great. I asked, I asked two questions. The first question was, um, what was the song you played at the end of the first set? Which I knew very well what the song was. I just was trying to get him to talk about it. He's like, well, you know, that's a Pearl Jam song. I'm like, no, I know, I know it's a Pearl Jam song. I just, I just wanted to get, I just want to ask a question. Um, but uh, it's like not a Pearl Jam song. They, they play a lot. So I asked him that. And he was like, well, that's a Pearl Jam song. I felt like I failed. Then he's like, oh, this guy doesn't know Pearl Jam. And then the second question, he started smoking. American spirits. And, um, so, and at the time I kind of a, a dabbled in with cigarettes. And so I was like, um, I asked the woman next to me, like, Hey, could, could you see if, if I could have one of his cigarettes? And she was like, why don't you ask him yourself? No, no. <laughs> and without saying anything with no words being spoken, he <laughs> takes the cigarettes. He's talking to someone else and just slides them over to the table and slides them in front of me. But he's not, didn't, doesn't make eye contact. So, that's what I got. That's all I got. <laughs> that was it. That was our, that was my, that was it. And then I just, I shut down, but I was like, I'll take that. Eddie gave me a cigarette without looking at me, but he gave me a cigarette. I feel like he didn't look me in the eye because if he would have, he would have been like, it's the guy from Lollapalooza, you know, but he didn't, we never had that moment, but. You know what? It's hard. 
It's hard when we meet our mega heroes. It really is. I, I have to say that because I've had that chance too. I've had yeah. the chance in LA. Like I, my friends made me go up and say something to Paul Westerberg at a trip Shakespeare show at the Roxy. Oh my God. Eight chameleon years ago, you know, and, and that was kind of disastrous because yeah. Paul's a curmudgeon. And, and I basically said something like, um, I'm a huge fan. And my friends said that they would never talk to me again if I didn't come up and say hi. So hi and bye. And he gave me his autograph, but it was all just awkward and weird because yeah, yeah. all that they, you know, yeah. when someone comes up to you, if someone says to you, instead of like, Hey, what's the loud and sweet. If say, someone said, that's a great jacket. You'll be like, thank you. Yeah. yeah thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Like if there's like a more of a non-celebrity uh, metadata, you know, experience, totally. like totally. Those are cool pants, man. Where did you get those? Yeah. 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 You know what much I mean? Better. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, you never think better. about that when you're faced with your heroes. Yeah. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and you know, me doing this, the, the rock tales with Amit. Now it's like all the time. I'm just, we're talking to Sharon Osborne and Hopefully, we're going to have one of the guys from Kiss on pretty soon. Wow, you know, dude. Steve Vai, Joe Satriani. We've had I've had the chance to meet a lot of my heroes, and I'm getting better at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's still weird after all this time, after being in this fucking city, after all this time. Sometimes it is weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's weird, and you never get used to it. Yeah. Um, and and you never quite know what to say either. You know, I mean, if you see people, someone you you, you recognize or something like does, who who. Does it do any good to go up and be like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a big fan." It, it really doesn't, unless you're into autographs. I just I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I've I've said sometimes I've seen someone and I've just said thank you. I've just That's like good. look them in the eye and just said thank you, thank you for everything, and just yeah. keep moving. Yeah. You know, and and I get like, oh uh, yeah, I appreciate that, but you know, yeah, cool. You can never lose with those are great shoes, man. Yeah. Uh, or that's yeah, a cool okay. jacket, man. Okay. Like that's that's a good icebreaker, go no matter that. what. But knowing um, me, I'll say, hey, that's a great jacket, but they won't be wearing a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> do you still have the cigarette? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you still have the cigarette? Oh, do I still have the cigarette? No, I think I smoked <laughs> it. I think I choked my way through it. <laughs> oh, God. I, I went to Drew Barrymore's 16th birthday, and I had a piece of her uh, cake in, in my freezer for like three years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rob Benedict, I have kept you for more than an hour. Um, dude, is there anything you'd like to promote? And just tell the kids what you're up to these days, where they can find you, where they yeah. can participate in all things Rob Benedict. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Rob Benedict or on Instagram at R.O. Benedict. And uh, I've got the podcast Kings of Con, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, which we usually do a weekly podcast there. And uh, I'm on the the uh, this season of Lucifer that's just released, and next season, uh, which hasn't been released yet, which which is on the Netflix. Fan, goddamn tastic, dude! You're just a pro. Thanks, you're just man. a pro. So come on, Thanks. Rob Benedict fans, push him past Paget Brewster. <laughs> I'll come Let on him- again. I'll come on again, and we'll do Volume Two Pearl Jam, where we do everything after Yield up to Gigaton. <laughs> Um, done and done and okay. done and done. You can you can come on anytime you want and talk okay. about whatever, but we will do that. You're the absolute best. So thank you, thank you. Love you, man. I love you too. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing. Got so many great guests coming down the pike. And of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. 